Catholic commentary. Spiritual warfare. Stay ready so you don't have to get ready. Jesus 911. Good morning, ladies and gentlemen. Ruben Navaj, Jesus 911, along with Jesse Romero. We're coming to you. Uh, Jesse is going to be on, on, not on screen, but he will be on call. Jesse, good morning. How are you there? Okay, well, maybe not just yet, but uh, uh, you know what? Uh, what a what a beautiful week this has been, you know, with Christmas and, and all the feast days that that occur each day and yesterday being the Holy Innocence. And that's a real important, okay, impo real important day, you know, uh, the, the lives of the the uh, the babies and and we're still fighting that battle today with the abortionists and uh they're the new herods so uh today we're going to be talking about uh satan unbound it's a really good article by patricia snow uh it's talking about the the changes in in the blessings of the holy water and baptism all the the uh all the uh the exorcism prayers that were taken out in the new rite so We'll be getting into that today, and um, Jess, I, uh, can you hear me? Yeah, I'm on, Ruben. I can hear you. All right. Yeah, let's jump right into the let's then jump right into the article. This is this is a historical red meat for for Catholics that are into their faith and that really care about spiritual warfare. So yeah, okay. the article is called Satan Unbound. Yeah, it's called Satan Unbound. Patricia Snow writes. She says, on the eve of the Feast of the Epiphany in 2021. After churches had reopened, but while many pandemic restrictions remain in place, three priests in my parish celebrated a traditional rite called the Blessing of Water on the Vigil of Epiphany. The rite is similar to rituals in the churches of the East. The Byzantine Catholic Church calls it the Great Blessing of Waters on the Eve of Theophany, and it entered the Roman ritual in 1890, the same year Pope Leo XIII composed his, quote, exorcism against Satan and the apostate angels, close quote. Uh, a longer version of his familiar 1886 St. Michael prayer for lay people. Yeah. Many parishioners many attended the blessing. Yeah. Go ahead, uh, Ruben. Yeah, many parishioners, they, they attended the blessing in that church that night and bringing with them water in receptacles of every kind, from antique glass perfume bottles to plastic gallon jugs, all of which were spread on the rosewood floor around the altar. The priests wore white. And uh, after the Psalms and the Magnific Magnificat, one of the priests recited quietly in Latin the central oration from Pope Leo's longer prayer to St. Michael, a deck clearing exorcism that aims to deliver not a possessed person, but the church herself from the destructive designs of Satan. Uh, quote, be gone and stay far from the church of God. Desist from harming the church and fettering her freedom, end quote. And, and so on. It goes like that. And if you haven't had a chance to read that long version of St. Michael's uh, or Pope Leo's prayer, you, you ought to. And you can find it on uh, most tradi traditional sites. Uh, it goes on to say, salt on the altar was exercised. Oh, and, you know, part of it says, oh, salt, creature of God, I exercise you. And blessed, and then the waters, all of the lids of the containers having been carefully removed, were exercised in their, in their turn. One of the quotes from that is, oh, oh, water, creature of God, I exercise you. And, and they were blessed. Let me just mention something, Ruben, just a comment. There's a, there's a phrase in, in theology that says, 
prayer begets what it signifies. And you'll find that pre-1962, a lot of the prayers are very precise because precision is everything in prayer. That's why our Lord said in Matthew 7, 7, ask and you'll receive, seek and you'll find. Right. And so you'll find that the, you'll find that after 1962, I think it was done by design, a lot of the exorcistic language was taken out of the prayers. And what's happened as a result of that, you can see this. There's been a rise in satanic activity in the church and in, and in culture as well, because the church is supposed to protect culture. And all of this directly goes back to the redaction of all these prayers that never were never carried on after 1965. Let me go to the next paragraph. It says, Patricia writes, time passed, silence increased. It took a long time giving the requisite attention to every container of water in the sanctuary. As the priests carefully made their way among the congregated jugs and jars, repeatedly bending and straightening up, sprinkling salt in every receptacle and making triplicate signs of the cross, the owners of the containers watched silently from the pews, standing vigil, as it were, over the works of the priests, until finally the manifold purifications Having been accomplished, every bottle and jug was resealed and signed. The Tadeum, that means to God, was sung, and everyone collected his own water and carried it off to the sanctuary of his home. Go ahead, Rune. As of 2021 I, um, neared its end, um, the, the author, she says, I looked forward to attending the blessings again, in part because my supply of water had run low and the holy water fonts in the church remained empty. And uh, so that... Uh, you know, and I should mention too that I have my I have my store of blessed water in the old right, blessed salt, you know, blessed candles, um, blessed chalk, so that uh, we can do the, uh, you know, the um, Epiphany House blessings, right? Right. Okay. So anyway, she goes on to say that unfamiliar usage of create uh, creature of salt, creature of water, had sent me to the dictionary the year before to confirm. The inanimate elements as well as animate beings being indeed be called creatures of God. St. Francis's canonical of the creatures came to mind, brother fire, sister water, together with the truth that nature, like ourselves, was created good, but afterward fell, dragged down in the wake of our deep depredations. So it made sense to me as I followed this line of reasoning to its end that when the church presses into her service one of God's creatures in a preeminent way, not only blessings, but also prayers of exorcism may be in order, which in the case of the epiphany water and according to the testimony of experienced exorcists, yield a sacramental more effective than ordinary holy water for keeping the ancient enemy at bay. Wow. Yeah. Meanwhile, in the year that was ending, troubling changes had taken place. In July 2021, Rome had moved to limit celebrations of the traditional Latin Mass, and similar restrictions were placed on old rite sacraments in late November. In the evangelical and charismatic circles, I frequently, uh, I frequented before becoming Catholic, the writer says, Patricia Snow. Catholic spiritual warfare was, was ongoing. Faith healers and deliverance ministers, self-appointed prophets, and preachers routinely called out Satan in public, tearing down strongholds and binding every proud obstacle to the knowledge of God. Extemporaneous prayer was a skill set all its own in that world as experienced prayer warriors plunge without warning into extravagant set pieces of intercessory prayer, passionate outpourings intimidating to the uninitiated. If the mood in those circles was often embattled and pugilistic, 
it was frequently competitive too, who had the gifts. And sometimes dangerously dualistic, as when Satan was detected behind even the smallest obstacle or trial. When something went wrong, it was generally assumed to be his fault. And when everything went wrong, it was definitely a vindication of the work and reason to embark again on prayer that demanded change and restoration. So Patricia Snow is basically saying that on another side of the church, on the charismatic renewal side, which was started in 1967, after Vatican II, and borrowed really from a lot of Protestant practices, uh, yeah. that th there was this hyper, this hyper uh, awareness or this hyper sensitivity to all things diabolical. But again, that wasn't the case before 1962 because the demon was placated or, or bound by the exorcistic prayers of the sacraments. And so this is why you didn't see uh, a lot of this uh, hyper, you know, uber spirituality pre-1962 amongst the lay people because Holy Mother Church took care of it through the sacraments. Yeah, Jess. And that uh, that whole charismatic movement was just, a you know, it, like a glorified version of the Pentecostal movement. And, and, and a lot of Catholics yeah, lost with, their faith. Yeah, you're right. And, and they became Protestants as a result of that. Uh, Dr. Scott Hahn actually said, I've heard him say this several times, he says, the charismatic renewal is like an eight-lane highway. Uh, one lane leading into the Catholic Church, seven lanes leading out of the Catholic Church. Wow. So in other words, Scott Hahn, Scott Hahn has actually said that the charismatic renewal actually, uh, it, it makes people, evangelicals and Protestants, more than anything else within the Catholic Church. Right. It, yeah. it unhinges them from the sacraments. It unhinges them from Mary. It unhinges them from the authority of the priesthood, and uh, they become just autonomous, uh, you know, Christians. And they think that uh, they, they have, like, like the article said, they have the gifts. So if I have the gifts, why do I need a priest and why do I need sacraments? Right. I saw that firsthand growing up as a kid uh, over at the San Gabriel Mission. Absolutely, and... I did too, Ruben. Yeah, yeah. Go ahead. Okay. So. Uh, very different. Well, well, let's see, yeah, very different. Uh, when I came into the Catholic Church, was the mood in the pews, uh, Pacific, quiescent, even acquiescent in the dispositions of ordinary Catholics. She says, I discovered a remarkable confidence in God's providence and a literal cruciform faith, which accepted suffering such as crosses from God's hand. To the extent that spiritual warfare was being waged in this church. The weapon of choice seemed to be holiness, or at least a nominal commitment to growing in virtue. Mary, with her foot on the snake, was the quiet exemplar of this strategy, but the saints took, but the saints too, in their different ways, all testified to it. This was a world in which individual charismatic gifts were more suspected than celebrated. Miracle workers fled to the desert, and Carthusians were buried in unmarked graves, a world in which temptations to pride were considered the most dangerous temptations of all. And the greater a saint's gifts, the more likely he would be humbled by the church. And Jesse, I, I again back to the charismatic, uh, you know, example. Uh, I saw some of these leaders. Hard break. Oh, hard break, brother. Hard break. Okay. You're listening to Jesus and I won. We'll be right back. Stick around. We're talking about helping uh, Catholics. Now, back to Jesus 911. If this call is not an emergency, 
Dial 888-526-2151. Welcome back. This is 911. We're going over an article by, uh, it was called Satan Unbound. Uh, and the author is, she's given her, her uh, examples and, and experience of what she saw what was going on in the church in terms of the blessings of the, the holy water and, and uh, some of the sacraments. So uh, we're going to pick up where we left off. But I was just mentioning, Jessa, uh, that we were talking about the charismatic uh, you know, renewal. And um, I, and just as, even as a kid, I saw, I saw a, a lot of those leaders uh, prideful. And, uh, you know, a lot of them, several of them have left, left the church as a result because it was about them. The focus was on them instead of, you know, instead of God and the church and his ministers. And, and, Precisely. Uh, Right. They would do. I I grew up, Ruben. I grew up in the San Fernando Valley, and I can tell you this: that a large majority of the little little pop up churches in the in the West and East San Fernando Valley are ex Roman Catholic Charismatics who all of a sudden they believe that they were gifted, uh, and and they left the church, left the sacraments, left devotion to Mary and started their own Protestant Pentecostal churches. You'll find most of these storefront churches are run by ex-baptized Catholics. Again, just like Scott Hahn said, the charismatic renewal is like an eight-lane highway. One leading into the Catholic Church when it's done properly, like at Steubenville, and seven lanes leading outside of the church into Protestant fundamentalism. Wow. Okay. Go ahead, Jess. And that's a patrician... Yeah, that's what she's saying in this article, by the way. She's making some very good points. She says, uh, there were... These were the impressions, at any rate, that I formed in my first decade as a Catholic, and so far as they went, I believe they were sound. For 10, 15 years in mostly ordinary time, with apparently ordinary people, I participated in the life of this church, in which the most extraordinary graces are affected by the most apparently ordinary means, the daily routines of the altar, or a formula of words in an anonymous encounter in a confessional. In other words, she's talking about the power of the sacraments that she encountered pre-1962 in the Old Rite. Is it, the, the pre-1962 prayers contained, Reuben, all the, as you well know, you've been going to that Mass for 25 years, uh, it contained all the prayers of exorcism that were required. She writes here, Then one afternoon when I was leaving a weekday Mass, I happened on a group in the vestibule preparing for a traditional rite baptism. Acquainted with the child's parents, I accepted a a printout of the rite in Latin and English, and prepared to follow along on the periphery. The celebration began, like all Catholic liturgies, which prescribed interpersonal prayers, rattled off by the priest in that almost mechanical way, disconcerting to outsiders. There was nothing pretentious, grandiose, or even nominally, nominally emotional about the priest's delivery. But here, look at this, this is powerful, this sentence right here, this, this paragraph. But under the veil of the Latin language, in the traditional formula of the sacrament, something explosive was happening. The priest was exercising the child. I realized as I stared at the translation, and in no vague, uncertain terms, he was breathing on her face and commanded the unclean spirit to leave, exercising salt and placing it in her mouth, rebuking the accursed fiend and ordering it to stay far away. After signing the child with the sign of the cross, he said quietly, and this sign of the Holy Cross, which we hear trace on her brow, do thou accursed demon, 
never dared to violate, close quote. A third time before entering the church, the priest turned to the child and ordered the demon to depart, the enemy to depart. He says, I expel thee every unclean spirit in the name of God the Father Almighty, close quote. Go ahead. Yeah, powerful, powerful prayer. So to this point in my life, she says in the church, though I was aware of the traditional mass, I had, I had assumed it was the same mass I attended every day, only in Latin. And how, how true is that? You know, the people think that uh, have never had experienced the Latin mass, think that what they're getting is the same thing, but only in English. So as the baptismal party entered the church and the rite moved swiftly to its end, all of, of the longer precautionary prayers having been prayed in the vestibule, I remembered my own Catholic baptism and the year of preparation leading up to it. I remembered, among other things, certain optional, quote, minor exorcisms that I had to insist be administered, which had turned out to be what I expected. Certainly, those vague, indirect, entirely circumspect prayers bore no resemblance to the commands I had just heard. So I understood going forward that the church had done things differently in the past. The conclusions I'd come to were not the whole truth about her life, at least not as she lived it for most of her history. She had had weapons at her disposal, which I had been entirely unaware, and the adjective militant meant something more literal than I had supposed. Jess? Still still another decade would pass, a decade culminating in the apparently small matter of the cancellation of the Epiphany Water Blessing. Before I really did my homework and learned not only how much actual content had been sacrificed when the church rites were revised after Vatican II, but what prayers in particular had been removed from her liturgies from every celebration in which they appeared almost without exception. Traditionally, every person who was baptized in the Catholic Church was solemnly and repeatedly exercised before being baptized. Infants, children, adults, and converts from other religions were all exercised, and even Protestants, whose baptisms the Church recognized as valid, were administered supplemental rites that included the same exorcism prayers over everyone else. In fact, in the early years of Christianity, individuals preparing for baptism were exercised every day for the 40 days of Lent, then... Yeah, so so just, you know, and I've heard of some Catholics who, when they found this out, have uh, tried to, you know, go to a traditional priest and see if they could have the the baptism redone, and and, uh, the answer has been no. Uh, You can only be baptized once. Uh, is Is that your understanding of it, Jess? Yeah, and I'll tell you, Ruben, because, like, for example, me and my wife, we've talked about this. We were baptized under the old rite. I was born in, you know, 60 and 61, respectively. So we were, we were baptized under the old rite before all the, all the modifications. But right. anybody who's been baptized, you know, under the new rites that have been revised and redacted, where all the exorcism and prayers basically have been taken away. Mm-hmm. Um, this is one of the reasons, why, by the way, why Father Chad Ripperger, he put up those prayers called Auxilium Christianorum. Because he realizes that there needs to be a supplemental. You can't be rebaptized because, again, that goes against Scripture in the New Testament. One faith, one Lord, one baptism in Ephesians right. 4. But you can supplement that by daily praying the Auxilium Christianorum prayers. Those are prayers of minor exorcism, prayers over you and your family. And this way, again, there's, a, there's an old saying in the church, uh, Ecclesia Suplices, which means 
uh, where we lack, the church makes up. So the, right. these, these auxiliary Christian order and prayers, this is Holy Mother Church giving us those residual graces that we need for protection against the diabolical, uh, because once again, for those that were baptized under the new rite. Yeah. So she goes on to say, in the church's traditional exorcistic prayers, there were there was no beating around the bush. There were no euphemisms or indirections. That baptism, as celebrated by the church, was not simply an ecclesial blessing or a rite of passage, but a preemptive strike in a cosmic battle, a decisive opening move in a contest in which the stakes could not have been higher. Wow, that's powerful. That's that's like battle language. Yes. Indeed, in the eyes of the church, an unbaptized person scarcely different from a possessed person in the sense that both, if in different ways, needed to be pried loose and taken back from Satan's control. The fundamental tenet of Christianity, that Christ, by his paschal sacrifice, has brought us back from the devil, was explicitly dramatized in the church's traditional rite, in which Christ, the one strong man capable of paying our ransom through the ministry of the church and the authority of his surrogate, the priest, drove out Satan in the exorcisms, and then filled the candidate with his own spirit in the baptism proper that followed. Nature abhors the vacuum. Mindful of Jesus' warning in Matthew chapter 12 about the danger that the empty house of a dispossessed person may subsequently succumb to a worse infestation, the church, whenever she performed an exorcism, followed it immediately by a blessing or infilling of the Holy Spirit us to leave no opening or opportunity for the devil to lay his snares creeping in by stealth. The church ex- observed this sequence in baptism in her treatment of the persons being baptized, but the water too in the font had been first had, had been first exercised and then blessed at the Easter vigil. And the oils of chrism and the catechumens that were subsequently poured into the water had themselves traditionally been exercised and blessed at the chrism mass a few days prior to Easter. Hmm. So the importance of exercise and blessed sacramentals in the life of a Catholic did not end with baptism, extending the special role played by water in salvation history to the drama of an individual's spiritual life. The church, in a separate rite called the Order for Blessing Water, not only exercised water, but made it an instrument of exorcism. Quote, to fit, fit to brace us against the envious foe, empowered to drive him forth and exile him, together with his fallen angels, end quote. So in the blessing that followed, the apotropic, uh, which means intended to ward off evil, exhortations continued. Let the, and it says here, uh, let this creature serve thee in expelling demons and curing diseases. Whatever it sprinkles in the homes of the faithful, be it cleansed and delivered from harm, let such homes enjoy a spirit of goodness and an air of tranquility, freed from baneful and hidden snares. Yeah, I, now, Jess, I had my house blessed by, by a priest with the, uh, you know, epiphany water, and which had already, like, it had, uh, you know, the, the the blessed salt and all that. So, uh, you know, I, I just, it just felt better. I felt, you know, I, I felt like, the, you know, it was warding off, you know, the the evils. It's kind of like having my, my, my turn, not my, uh, and pesticide guy come each month and spray around the house to keep the bugs out. You know, this, <laughs> this was to keep out, you know, the, the demons and, and that's exactly uh, good, good analogy. Great analogy. Yeah. This is the water fortified by similarly exercise and exercising salt. That was the basis of every other official blessing conferred by the church. 
The laity, too, carried it home for their family members and friends, barns, fields, and crops. Priests sprinkled it on the dying and on the coffins of the dead. And every Sunday before every high mass, the celebrant sprinkled it on the congregation, the altar, and the other priests in a ritual called the Asperges. Mm -hmm. Visibly and routinely, this exercise and exercising water filled the holy water fonts of every Catholic church in Christendom near the entrances, guarding the doors, so that every person who, on entering the church, signed himself with the water, recapitulated in a small but real way the same exorcisms prayed over him or her in baptism. This is no merely symbolic gesture or simple reminder of the sacrament. Rather, it was a refreshment of some of the same protections and blessings that baptism itself definitively confers. That sentence was powerful. Every time you bless yourself with holy water, it's a re recapitulation of the effects that you received at baptism to help you fight off the diabolical. Powerful, powerful. Jesus 911, two men, Carl, Ruben, and Jess. Stick around, we'll talk more about the power of the white sacraments. Now, back to Jesus 911. If this call is not an emergency, dial 888-526-2151. Little Patrol, two-man car, Jesse and Ruben, and uh, we're talking about uh, Satan Unbound, good article. And, uh, you know, uh, a mention was made in, in that last paragraph about uh, the asparagus. If people haven't uh, been to a Latin Mass or, or maybe... Uh, they have, but they haven't done this. I think we're getting some feedback on your end, Jess. Um, but uh, if people haven't heard okay. that, that it's just the uh, it's 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 real powerful. And the the priest goes through and he and he he's sprinkling the congregation, and it's and uh, the prayer is that and the song that's that's being sung by the by the can the choir is um, Asparagus May, uh, but it says, Thou sprinkle me, O Lord, with hyssop. And shall be cleansed. Thou shalt wash me, and I shall become whiter than snow. And uh, at the end, it, it says, "Hear us, O Lord Almighty, the Father, everlasting God, and vouchsafe to send Thy holy angel from heaven to guard, cherish, protect, and visit and defend all that are assembled in this place through Christ our Lord." Amen. So it's it's almost like a perimeter protection uh, prayer, Jesse. And uh, oh yeah. You know, you, so it's the real powerful. Part of it was taken from King David's Psalms. Yeah. Yeah. There you go. Yep. Okay. Go ahead. So the church did not, writes Patricia Snow, as I had supposed, uh, eschew explicit spiritual combat, combat. On the contrary, for most of her history, the church vigorously engaged in such warfare. The appearance of quietude in the pews was misleading, or rather, when everything was going according to plan, it was the fruit of an ongoing vigilance exercised by the church herself in the persons of her ministers. Furthermore, by exercising every person who entered her, her through baptism or confirmation, and especially by exercising everyone outside her doors, the church made it clear that this was a communal as well as an individual issue. Mm -hmm. She made clear the danger of contagion and her concern for the health and integrity of her whole flock. Yeah. Uh, bearing this in mind, we might call the Catholic Church the original safe space or good posture promised in Psalm 23, 
where the sheep protected by the shepherds from the ravages of predators were able to, quote, lie down in safety, end quote. With membership in the church came automatic built-in closely woven protections like the walls of a sheepfold inside which the ordinary routines of the spiritual life occasionally cleansing the sacrament of confession and regular feeding, the Eucharist, could go forward without interference. And uh, anyway. Um, paragraph you just read there, Ruben. Yeah. Very powerful. To me, uh, I, I've always looked, I've told my wife, Anita, we, we look like, for example, if the world ends in our lifetime and, and if somebody drops a nuclear bomb, I've told my wife, my kids, uh, my, I said, take your families to the nearest Catholic church if something like this happens, cataclysmic, and just sit, kneel, prostrate, or stand before the tabernacle, and let's all die as a family in front of that tabernacle if, if somebody drops the, a big nuke on us. Because I've always seen the Catholic church specifically where the tabernacle's at. That is the safe space, Ruben. Mm. And to me, that's why in the Middle Ages, in many Catholic churches, they were, they were adorned on the outside perimeter of the roof. They had gargoyle statues. Why? It was to remind people of the reality of demons outside, outside of the church in the world. That's right. Go yeah. Yeah. Go ahead. Comment. You, yeah. Yeah. No, you didn't see those gargoyles inside the church. They were always outside. And, uh, and yeah, that, that I know as a young Catholic, that uh, kind of freaked me out when I saw those things. But uh, now I know, you know, that, that uh, what they were there for. So. Yeah. To remind us what's outside in the world. <laughs> That's right. Patricia writes, to, to put this another way, the church specialized in preventative care. And she's talking about pre-1965, she's saying. When one hears the word exorcism, one thinks of an exorcist delivering a possessed person. But an actual exorcist was always a specialist of last resort. Far yeah. more important to the ongoing health of the church were these routine exorcistic prayers written into the book-ending sacraments of baptism and extreme unction, and prayed over the primary sacramentals, water, salt, and oil, used by the church in both quotidian, the blessing of a home, and exceptional, the ordination of priests of priest celebrations. Mm. But if the church, for most of her history, was firmly committed to responsible warfare, the ways of her warfare clearly differed from the ways of evangelical Protestantism, just as in the church's sacramental economy, Extraordinary graces are affected by apparently ordinary means. Uh, so the church's vigilance and spiritual warfare never depended on the unstable ground of an individual's charismatic gifts, personal discernment, or private inspirations. Instead, the church's exorcistic powers were absorbed into her liturgies and expressed in her rites, resulting in an objective rather than a subjective provision, a provision more wow. impersonal than personal a provision about which no human being might boast. In the church's bold authoritative prayers, there was no individual assumption, but only the quiet authority of Christ himself entrusted to his church and exercised by ordained all but anonymous ministers. We might even say that in this church in which a priest's personal qualities were ideally subsumed by his office and the most important prayers that he prayed were prayed silently and in Latin, the messianic secret continued in force, tell no one, together with Jesus' warning to the disciple when they were returned elated by their newfound powers. 
you know, basically she's saying, don't brag. <laughs> Some may object to the practice of reserving the right to execute the priest, but the advantages to the church's traditional way of proceeding are clear enough. <laughs> Sounds like Father Ripperger's lectures here. For one thing, by institutionalizing and, routine, and, root, and routinizing spiritual warfare in the way she did, the church, assuming the efficacy of her prayers, guaranteed an impressive level of spiritual protection to all of her members, not only the spiritual seekers or especially vocal parishioners, she safeguarded humility too and lay people and clerics alike by lifting from everyone the burden of thinking that they had to, or even could, fight Satan alone in their own right. strength. And she freed Catholics from an unhealthy preoccupation with Satan, because everyone understood, without having to ask, that the hierarchy was paying attention and the necessary prayers were being prayed. Far from infantilizing lay people, the church, like a good parent, provided them with the protection they needed to mature, unmolested, like Jesus, himself as a child, or John the Baptist, and the child grew and became strong in spirit. By responsibly exercising the apotropaic authority granted to her by Christ, the church in times past freed the laity for contemplation for a deeper, richer communion with God himself in prayer. This, this paragraph that she just wrote, Patricia, no, just describe Father Chad Ripperger's deliberate Christian method of healing and liberation. It's exactly what his institute is doing right now in the church. Go ahead. Mm, good stuff. But, however, many the advantages to the church's traditional way of discharging her responsibilities, reserving the right to exercise to the hierarchy, worked only so long as the hierarchy ex exercised it. And in the 1960s, in 1970s, in the aftermath of, of the Second Vatican Council, all of the routine exorcistic prayers that have been part of the church's liturgical patrimony for centuries disappeared. And uh, and I, this is not a coincidence. This was done by design by the modernists in yep. order to weaken Holy yep. Mother Church. Yeah, you Absolutely. can't make this stuff up. Nope. So first, first to go were the were the exorcisms and the so-called supplemental rites. Even before the council ended in a 1964 instruction called Inter Ecumenici, all of the exorcisms prayed over converts whose baptisms had been accepted by the church were struck. In the same instruction, the Leonine prayers were suppressed, including Pope Leo XIII's shorter St. Michael prayer, which had been prayed after every low mass for 78 years. Close quote. Here's something interesting that the Leonine prayers were given to us to protect us against diabolical, the, the diabolical communist system, which started in 1917. Go ahead, Ruben. The full implementation of the reform after the close of the council in 1965 took a long time. The new book of blessings did not appear until 1984, and the solemn rite of exorcism, a sacramental outside the scope of this article, was not revised until 1999. In the years between, there were endless subcommissions, study groups, redactions, revisions, plenary sessions and liturgical experiments in the field there were deep divisions and protracted rivalries dismissals and resignations and in some cases very public anger over the direction the reform was taking but in the end when the smoke cleared when the new rites had been promulgated and permission to pray the old ones almost entirely withdrawn all of the ordinary exorcisms were gone in some cases as in children's baptism 
the revised rite retained the word exorcism to designate certain prayers prayed over the candidates, but the prayers themselves were no longer recognizable as, as exorcisms. In other cases, the suppression was more straightforward. The sacramental oils, for example, continue to be blessed by a bishop at the Chrismas, but they are no longer exercised. Most notoriously in the new order for blessing water outside the celebration of mass, which is the direct descendant of the traditional order for blessing water discussed earlier, not only in the water not exercised nor fortified with exercised salt, it's not even blessed. God is blessed for giving us the gift of water and the people in the responses ask him to bless the church, but the water itself is not blessed. <laughs> you know, and I remember Father, uh, you know, I remember Father Melito telling me this stuff, Jesse, uh, and he was, he, you know, when I've watched many, many baptisms and uh, he, and and he he pointed this out to us that this was this was not being done and so, uh, it's 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 important stuff. It's like you know what, just it's like being a a, a chef and you know, and you're you're making up some big Italian dish and and you're just leaving out a lot of the ingredients in it. It's not going to taste the same. So like you said, you know, prayer begets what it signifies. So yeah, uh, yeah. Here we are. Yeah. Ain't- the, the clear hostility of the reform to language in any confrontational. I, I hear the music. Oh. To Jesus, I won't. Just uh, Justin Rubin. We'll continue talking about the power of the pre-1962 sacramental rite and uh, why were they taken away? Hmm. Interesting. We'll be right back. Now, back to Jesus 911. If this call is not an emergency, dial 888-526-2151. Jesus 911. We're back and talking about Satan un- unbound because of the lack of uh, lack of these exorcism prayers in uh, the blessing in our baptisms and in the blessings of the sacramentals that we have. Uh, so uh, the clear hostility of the reform to language in any computational or martial extended to the revision of the divine office. Verses from certain psalms, and in some cases, whole psalms were removed from the Psalter on the grounds that they were too militaristic or violent. Bishop Spolbeck of East <laughs> Germany, one of the few reformers from a communist country, protested. He said, quote, afflicted as we are by a very difficult external situation, we need expressions suitable for use Contra Diabolum, which means against the devil. And 10 years later, in a book called La Confusione des Languages, which is the confusion of languages, the historian Elaine Bessencon observed wryly, quote, the idea of struggle of war occupies such a position in the Christian scriptures that one wonders how it could be obscured. I'm told that in the French editions of the Breviary, the Psalter has been expurg- expurgated of its... Uh, most warlike and imprecatory scriptural verses on the grounds that they are incompatible with modern sensibilities, end quote. <laughs> Go ahead, Jess. In- incompatible with modern sensibilities. The phrase brings us to the secondary causes for the Reformed rejection of the exorcism, many of which fall under the scriptural category fear of man or fear of offending Protestants, for example, by suggesting that their baptismal rituals were in, in any way deficient. 
may have been the real reason for removing the exorcisms in the supplemental rites. The official explanation was that since the exorcisms amounted to a pre-baptismal ritual, they were unnecessary if a baptism had been accepted as valid. Yet the exorcisms had always been part of the rite of baptism as written, and Catholic baptisms too would have been deemed deficient as opposed to invalid without them. A Catholic, for example, who had, who had been hurriedly baptized in an emergency would afterward, as soon as possible, have been exercised by the Church. But the architects of the new rite of reception, deferring to the ecumenical movement, demonstrated their new respect for other religions by anathematizing the Church's centuries-old practice of emptying, her, of emptying her storehouses for converts, of giving them everything that might have contributed to their thriving. And in the case of the St. Michael prayer, political anxieties were in play. After 1930, the prayer had been offered for the intention of restoring religious freedom in Russia, an intention that, com that comported awkwardly with the Vatican's new, more conciliatory posture toward the communist regimes of the East, close quote. Ruben? Yeah, Jesse, I was just another way of watering down the, the, the faith <clears throat> when they take these out. Meanwhile, fear of man covers more than the fear of offending others. It also suggests the fear of being judged by them. Judge credulous, for example, superstitious or out of date. Interestingly, it is when the routine exorcistic prayers began to be translated into the vernacular that many of the reformers began to back away from them. The strongly worded imprecations, the full force of which had always been veiled by the Latin, made many uncomfortable once they were translated into ordinary language. And the commitment to the vernacular by this point may have been simply too strong, but it's but it has to be said too that some of the more influential reformers were not so much afraid of the judgments of modernity as persuaded by them. How else to explain the cheerful, bachish um, assumptions underlying the new order of blessing? Water outside the celebration of mass, a blessing that proceeds as if between the time when God looked at everything he had made and pronounced it very good and the present, nothing happened, um, you know. If the council was guided by the Holy Spirit, the, the post-conciliar reform was influenced by the spirit of the age. A fever dream of spirit. That's a good sentence, sir. Yeah. yeah the spirit of the age. That's right. Um, a fever dream of spiritual naivete uh, by revolutionary fervor from which even Pope Paul VI awoke too late to correct the direction events had taken. Not for nothing did Jesus include... <laughs> Foolishness in his long list of things that can become out of a man that defile him. Mm. One of the secondary causes for the church relaxing her vigilance and, in effect, laying down her arms are many, are far, are, are many and complex. The primary cause is perfectly simple and clear. To identify it, one has only to ask who benefited from all of the revisions, evasions, and suppressions. The yep. question brings us back finally to Pope Leo XIII and the occasion of his composing the St. Michael Prayers. In a book called Pope Leo XIII and a Prayer to St. Michael, a work, a work more footnotes than text, Kevin Simmons sifts the evidence for the storied occasion and concludes that in, that in essentials, the story is true. In 1886, Pope Leo had a vision of demons gathering in Rome. A vision so persuasive and terrifying, he immediately wrote a short prayer to St. Michael and ordered it sent to all the bishops in the world. Four years later, in 1890, he composed a longer prayer called Exorcism Against Saint, uh, Satan and the Apostate Angels. 
An exorcism that is pointed earlier aims to protect the church herself and souls from Satan's power. While the shorter prayer was intended for the for use of the whole church, the longer prayer was for the bishops and for the priests with the proper permission to pray it. Pope Leo himself reportedly prayed his longer prayer many times a day, often while walking in the Vatican gardens. Mm. Hey, just simply noted that, you know, that the ver- that uh, document Sacrosanctum Concilium in Vatican II, as the church's uh, constitution on the liturgy, it says that, and therefore no other person, even if it be a priest, may add, remove, or change anything in the liturgy on his own authority. And so no, there, there must be no innovations unless the good of the church genuinely and certainly requires them. And care must be taken that any new forms adopted should in some way grow organically from forms already existing. So, so when priests that started, that and, you know, <laughs> during COVID, right, some priests started uh, coming, coming out and saying, hey, we want to say the St. Michael prayer after mass. And it's, it's, it started going around. <clears throat> A lot of, uh, you know, Nova right. Solar churches, they were praying, they're praying the St. Michael to this day. Uh, so I, I don't see that being a problem but again under you know this the pope um and in some dioceses those prayers are being uh they're being squashed yeah so. correct so yep. also you know saint michael you know his that was cast out he cast out satan in the first battle in the book of revelation 12 7 to 10 and he continued to fight the powers of evil in biblical times and in Daniel, you know, 10, uh, 13 to 21, he'll right. yeah. fights. He's still in, we still invoke him today, you know, in this battle, a spiritual battle that we're under. So anyway, she goes on to say, not coincidentally in 1890, um, a new version of the Epiphany Water Blessing was approved by the Sacred Congregation of Rites. And the same blessings I attended in 2021 were incorporated the central exorcisms of Leo's longer prayer. In the aftermath of his vision, in other words, Leo not only forged new prayer weapons, but also repurposed old ones for the press expressed intention of strengthening the church's defenses. When one considers the urgency of the prayers he composed, as well as the faithfulness he demanded from both himself and the whole church in praying them, one has an idea, perhaps, of the gravity of the vision that compelled him. There was also more to to the vision, according to several extended sources. Simon sources, besides seeing demons gathering in Rome, Pope Leo purportedly overheard a conversation between the Lord and Satan in which Satan boasted of the success of his ongoing campaign against the church and added that if he only had more freedom, he could, com- he could destroy it completely. How long would that take? The Lord asked him, 50 or 60 years? You have the freedom, the Lord responded, and the time. The most popular version of Leo- Pope Leo's story, 100 years, or the whole 20th century, were said to have been given over to Satan by the Lord to test the church. It was always unclear, given the wording of the reports, whether the, Lord, the, the Lord's sovereignty gave Satan time or simply affirmed that in point of fact that he would have it. Whatever one makes of this account of an overheard conversation, one thing is beyond dispute. <laughs> in the years following the council, in a decisive break with their past, the church stopped confronting, rebuking, or dismissing Satan. That's a powerful sentence. As her new rights took hold, she essentially gave Satan a pass, rarely identifying him and never addressing him directly. If the devil's best trick is said to be convincing people he doesn't exist, the post-conciliar church corroborated in the deception. Go ahead, Ruben. Yeah. 
just I don't know if we're going to be able to get through it, so I'm just going to drop down the last uh, two paragraphs here. Okay. As early as 2014, Pope Francis encouraged the lady to take up again Pope Leo's prayer to St. Michael, at least in their private devotions. In the years since, many parishes have embraced the suggestion enthusiastically and publicly, praying the prayer together after Mass. One of the first prayers to be removed then in the general dismantling that followed the council has been restored, at least unofficially, in many dioceses. Just talking. And uh, as you notice, I'm wearing my St. Michael sweatshirt here. And uh, it is oh, a yeah. beginning that the shorter prayer to St. Michael is primarily a prayer for lay people, and we need more than a prayerful and vigilant lady. More than ever, we need priests, dedicated, purified priests, exercising again on behalf of the whole church the kinds of responsibilities proper to their consecration. If the church is a sheepfold and Jesus Christ is its gate, priests are still its his gatekeepers, John 10, 3, uniquely commissioned by him to bind and to loose, open, but also to shut out the thief and the robber. In her enthusiasm for openness, the post-conciliar church has neglected its corollary. She has forgotten that she is still at war to the end of the age. <clears throat> wow. Powerful, powerful conclusions by Patricia Snow. Congratulations. She's uh she's got her uh she's got her finger on the problem, on the on the pulse of the problem. Yeah. Hey, uh, Jeff, you know, uh it, it's interesting to note, you know, during Vatican II's preparatory commissions. They, um, they created different statements that would condemn Marxism as an ex exceedingly grave and universal danger and communism as a false religion without God that seeks to, to subvert the foundation of Christian civilization. So they envisioned a massive, highly coordinated campaign to liberate mankind from communism and to shatter its audacity. But, uh, and, you know, and they were also, in, in, as to my understanding, they, they were also, it was a full counterattack against, you know, the Fatima visionary Lucia Dos Santos. Which she, she called communism the greatest heresy to appear at any time in the world, and uh, which was carrying its errors to the ends of the earth. So just, but the council dismissed those. The German, French, death-speaking bishops. Yep. They outmaneuvered the conservative majority, and they took control of the commission overseeing the councils. And you didn't hear a, a peep about uh, communism in the documents. That's so. True. Those uh, those uh, documents were suppressed. They didn't, they didn't make them into Vatican II. Ruben, take it away, brother. Okay. Hey, you know what? Hey, uh, just going to let you know that uh, this is going to be my, my last show for, for a while. Uh, I might fill in once in a while, but uh, I'm going to be moving on. Uh, I've got some other things that I'm, I'm doing. And, uh, and so uh, it's been great being with you, you know, all these last four, over four, four years. And uh, hopefully, you'll, you know, you, maybe you'll see me occasionally. But uh, keep me in your prayers, and I'll keep you in my prayers. Thank you. Two for hands on apologetics. Very much.